All right. Good morning, Trinity Church. Welcome. Glad you're with us on this Memorial Day weekend. And um, I want to start off by just um, giving you guys a huge thank you. You'll remember um, during the month of April, we um, took up an offering for the month of April, a special focus to help send our students to camp. We call it the impact offering. And we asked you to make an investment in these guys right here, our high school students, our middle school students, and our um, kids that are in, a part of our kids' ministry. We've got great camps coming up, wonderful plans have been made. And because of your generosity, we have filled up most of our camps. And to give you an idea, um, you guys gave over $47,000. That is um, well beyond even just our imagination and expectation. But because of that, middle school camp, all the spots are gone because we've been able to help those families and just communicate to them, don't let finances stand in the way because these people, they've got your back. That's why our high school camp, all the spots are filled. Um, and and we're, we're able to do that because of your generosity. We're able to have these kids go to camp, to, to kid, uh, camp Oasis in just a few weeks because of your generosity. You made that possible. And uh, so now we've got, we got waiting lists for high school camp. It's not too late to sign up. So if you're not signed up, you need to get on that, by the way. Okay, now that segment is over. Um, but thank you. Thank you very, very much. Uh, we, we love it. We appreciate it. I want to talk about hope, the hope of heaven. Uh, today. And, and when I think of the hope of heaven, um, there, there is a people group that just stands out to me, and, and my mind goes back to uh, the American slaves. American slavery is an incredibly dark chapter in our nation's history, and there was just incredible pain and brokenness, abuse, and all kinds of evil that took place. But even in the midst of incredible pain, incredible suffering, they also had tremendous hope. A hope that really did not make any sense in light of their earthly circumstances. But then when you hear their songs, you hear the hope of heaven. Songs like, there is a land of pure delight. In bright mansions above, they were, they, they were able to look to the future and anticipate a glorious heaven. Another title, wish I was in heaven sitting down no longer crushed by burdens of heavy labor, a city called heaven that they would just be looking forward to, dreaming about, even in the midst of their pain. Here's the words to a Negro spiritual, beams of heaven. Burdens now may crush me down, disappointments all around, trouble speak in mournful sigh, Sorrow through a tear-stained eye. There is a world where pleasure reigns. No mourning soul shall, shall roam its plains. And to that land of peace and glory, 
I want to go someday. It's this kind of hope that the Bible talks about. It is this kind of hope that the Bible offers us today. It is this kind of hope that he's offering you in the midst of your pain, your brokenness, your hurt, your uncertainty about your job, your finances that that are keeping you up at night, your your brokenness and in your relationships that are represented here. Maybe it's even a broken marriage and you're not sure how how you're going to go on. Maybe it's just the, the pain and reminders of loneliness. God offers hope through His Word this morning. And we find out this morning that this hope of heaven, this living hope, is anchored in the past, and it is, it's sustaining us in the present and will be fully realized in the future. But we also will discover that this is not just a theoretical discussion, but this hope of heaven, the living hope, the stuff we're talking about this morning, has huge implications for now, for here, for today. And these implications are spelled out in our now what statement. And it reads like this, the hope of heaven compels us to live lives marked by holiness and love. The hope of heaven, this living hope, compels us to live lives marked by holiness and love. We're going to find ourselves in the book of 1 Peter. And you can take your Bibles and turn there, if you would, please. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to park it there for most of the morning. And um, just a little bit before we dive into and, and read it, uh, 1 Peter was written by Peter. Oh, you guys are so smart. And yeah, 1 Peter was written by Peter. And Peter was in prison at this time. He was in prison, most likely in Rome. And prison was not a good time. He had reason to be hopeless, to be fearful, to be anxious. But he writes with hope. His recipients were persecuted followers of Jesus scattered throughout the Roman world, primarily in uh, what would be considered today modern Turkey. They were um, oppressed, persecuted for naming the name of Christ. Their lives were difficult and they needed hope. And Peter writes this from prison needing hope himself, and he shares this hope, this living hope, with his readers in 1 Peter. This hope was incredibly important. So what is this hope that the Bible talks about? The hope that the Bible talks about is not this. I hope this crazy cold weather is going to end soon. I mean, come on, people. You guys look like you're bundled up for, like, the winter, but it's the 26th of May. Is it 26th? Yes, see, um, I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt. It is so frigid. It's like the high is going to be 55. This is not why we live in California. Like, we could get that other places and pay fewer taxes. Um, I mean, like, come on. This is just not worth it. This hope is not just, I hope it's going to be better. You know, I'm hoping I'm going to have a good dinner tonight. I hope I have a good night's rest. I hope I get a raise. That's not the kind of hope that the Bible talks about. When the Bible talks about hope, and you can jot this down, this is confident expectation. Hope, as the Bible talks about it, is confident expectation. It is a firm assurance. Confident expectation, a firm assurance. 
Very different from, I hope, this weather is going to end soon. I really do hope that, by the way. I make no secret about that. So turn with me to verse 3, chapter 1, and let's go through this chapter together. It's an incredible chapter, I promise. It's awesome. Verse 3 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We'll pause it right there. The first thing we notice is this, that our living hope is anchored in the past in a beautiful way, in a very important way. Verse 3, it says, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Followers of Jesus have every reason to have this confident expectation why the resurrection has made it so. Followers of Jesus have been given new birth, new life as we respond to the gospel that Jesus died for our sin in our place. He died, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. And that is historical fact. And we can bank on that. And our living hope is anchored in that fact that Jesus rose from the dead, guaranteeing our salvation this is not wishful thinking. This is not some kind of ridiculous coping mechanism. This is living hope, confident expectation, firm assurance. John Stott, a tremendous theologian, put it this way. Christ, ha Christ has not just made our salvation possible, He has made it sure. He has made it sure. Hebrews 6, 19 um, captured it this way. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, amen. We have this hope, this living hope as an anchor, firm and secure. It's not going anywhere. So this hope is anchored in the past, yet has expectations for the future. Um, I, I tried to think of, of a way to illustrate that, and I couldn't, so my wife helped me out. And so think of it this way. What if someone gave you a gift card to one of your favorite restaurants? It's probably a fancy restaurant. We're not talking McDonald's here. No, no, no. Um, Hilke's got fine taste. So um, th this, this gift card is, is to like a wonderful steakhouse, maybe Fleming's, but possibly Mastro's. It's nice. Better bring your wallet. But you've got, if someone gives you a gift card, $200, to this amazing steakhouse. It's a place you love, and obviously you say thank you. And then, oh man, you start to kind of dream a little bit of like, oh wow, I feel steak is coming. 
stake is in my future. You begin to anticipate. You begin to look forward to, you're probably like, okay, when are we going to do this? When are we going to go? Is it going to be like anniversary, birthday? When are we going to do this? This is not just like you look at your watch, it's five o'clock, what do we have for dinner? Oh, let's just go to Mastro's. No, this is something you, you plan for. This is something you, you kind of, you just kind of uh, anticipate and you get to look forward to. And then the date arrives. It's time. You're going to the restaurant. You've got that $200 gift card, you're ready, you get dressed up, you know, the missus gets dressed up, and you guys are looking great, and then you go to the restaurant, you order up, and I mean, it is a feast, I mean, fillets, and just beautifulness, it is just awesome, and then the bill comes, and you look at it, your eyebrows are like, ooh, but then you remember, you've got the gift card, you just put the gift card down, here you go, and the bill has been paid covers everything. So this, this, this gift card was secured in the past. Someone in the past made a transaction. They put down $200 in exchange for a $200 gift card to be given to you. It's, it's secure. That gift card um, was going to be good. Whether you're going to do it a week from then, two weeks, two years, it's secure. And you get to look forward to this meal with anticipation but even that gift card, until it's spent, you won't truly get to enjoy it. You're like, oh, this is really cool, we got a gift card. But until you pay it and enjoy that meal, that's when it will be truly fulfilled and enjoyed, which is Peter's, kind of his next point, not about Mastro's, but it's our living hope will be fully realized in the future. It's anchored in the past, but we fully realized in the future. Look with me again in verse 4. It says it's an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Really, P Peter is struggling here. He's like, how do I describe this hope? How do I describe this, this living hope, this heaven? And the fact is he can't. So he just kind of tells us what it's not. Well, it's not going to spoil. It's not going to fade. It, it is absolutely perfect. In 1 Corinthians 2.9, we read, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. Amen. It is glorious. It is amazing. It is awesome. No suffering, no pain, fully present with God. Unreal. No brokenness. No worries. No loneliness. And Peter just points our eyes to that future when it will be fully realized, fully experienced and, enjoys, and enjoyed. Then he writes, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you through faith, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Some very important words here. You see, here's this inheritance is kept in heaven for us, and we are kept for it. Jesus is keeping us to receive that inheritance one day. How is he doing it? Um, he is keeping us through giving us faith. When, he, when it says shielded right there, the image is a fortress, that we are kept under guard, we are shielded, we are safe and secure. How is this happening? He says it is through faith in verse 5. 
So not only did, did God give you the gift of faith when you first trusted Christ, he is continuing to give you faith, to walk in obedience and faithfulness to him, even through the trials. And it is this gift of faith that is sustaining you. It is this gift of faith that is shielding you, that is a fortress around you, even when it seems like you don't know how to take yet another step. He's right there. So our living hope is sure because of the resurrection. It looks forward to the future, and our living hope sustains us in the present and that's where it really counts right now, isn't it? That's where it counts because right now, right now you might be feeling anxious. Right now you're feeling that pain. You've got those questions about the future and you're just not sure. Right now you need hope. And Paul knows that. He writes this, in verse 6, in all this, speaking of the living hope, in all this you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. But these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pause right there. There's so much in these verses, but there's, there's a couple things I want to point out today related to trials. He says, in all this, you, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Here's the thing, trials are not incompatible with joy. Trials are not incompatible with joy. In verse 8, I love this, that you are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. That does not mean that in your pain, God is calling you to happiness. It's not a happy thing to lose a job. It is not a happy thing to have a certain kind of diagnosis. But it is a joyous thing to know that the living God will be with you every step along the way. That's why we sang, the joy of the Lord is my strength. It is a beautiful thing. And it doesn't make any sense, which is awesome. Because that is a compelling testimony to the people in my relational world, in your relational world. How are you doing this? Well, the fact is I'm not. I've got Jesus. There's, there's, that's the only way. Trials come in many different forms. Some trials are more like bumps in the road. Others are caverns. I had a bump in the road this week. Oh, it was terrible. I went to the dentist, first mistake, and then the next day, I found myself having to, like, they're extracting a wisdom tooth. 
that was no fun. And then it was, you know, obviously all these wisdom teeth need a specialist. And I was seeing dollar signs all over the place. I'm like, no! But it's just a bump in the road. I've got a living hope. It's okay. So we got through it. I was actually supposed to just go in for a consultation on Tuesday. Next thing you know, the guy's yanking out my tooth. It's crazy. Trials are temporary, praise God. Oh my gosh. Trials are temporary. Peter writes, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Peter is not belittling your pain. Peter is not saying, oh geez, just a little while, suck it up, come on. Not at all. Not at all. He is... He is gently lifting your head to gain a different perspective, to look out and recognize, you know what? These 80-some-odd years on this, on this earth, they are so short compared to an eternity with God in heaven forever. It truly is a little while that we would experience trial and pain and suffering. And it's not because God wants to you know, torture us, but he does want to shape us. This is not um, because this is not the way God had designed it to be. We were not designed to experience pain, but that is the result of sin and living in a sinful world. But the coolest part is this, that God can still use the brokenness of sin for his purposes is amazing, but that is just a little while compared to an eternity with God in heaven forever. And again, trials are purposeful. I'm really grateful for that. Verse 7, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. God uses trials to grow our faith, to stretch us, to push us, to break us of our self-reliance, to to shatter our self-righteousness. If you're going through a trial and, 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 and someone says to you, well, brother, You know what it says, God will not give you more than you can handle. Have you guys heard that before? That's a lie. It is. That is a misuse of Scripture. It's talking about temptation. God will not tempt you more than you can handle. But will He give you trials more than you can handle? Absolutely. Absolutely He will. And He likes it that way. Because that's how he's going to challenge you. That's how he, that's when I am forced to rely on God is when I figure out I can't do it. I'm not able to experience God's strength in my weakness if I think I can figure this out. He absolutely will push you and, 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 and push you beyond what you can handle. You're not smart enough to figure it out. You're not strong enough to carry it, but Jesus is. And that's how he wants it. He, 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 he stress tests our faith. 
And it's very necessary if we want to become more and more like Jesus. You guys all probably have a phone in your pocket or in your purse. And what do you have around your phone? What do you have around your phone? A case. (laughs) Except me. Um, And so I've been going caseless for like three or four months, which isn't entirely smart. And um, my wife has already told me, if you break your phone, I'm getting a new one and you get mine. Um, and, and hers is rose gold, so that should work out well. And, uh, but, but most of you smart people have a case around your phone. It feels so good to have no case, though, by the way. It's awesome. So, like, little. It's great. Um, you have a case around your phone, and when you were shopping for, for that case, you were kind of looking around, you saw on the package, oh, this one will withstand a drop up to four feet. Like, and you kind of look on, oh, this one. It, it withstands a drop up to 10 feet. You're like, oh, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I like that. Then you're like, then you've got this one over here. It withstands like a nuclear bomb. It's like, you know, 70 million feet. And, and you kind of make your selection. You put the phone in and, and you kind of, you feel like, okay, we're going to be okay. Um, but before, before a manufacturer, you know, puts that on their marketing materials, you know, four feet, eight foot, um, what do you have to do? They have to test it. What do they do? Yes, they drop a bunch of phones. They just start dropping phones. I'm not going to drop my phone, by the way, because otherwise I end up with my wife's phone. Um, okay, they drop it from four feet, eight feet, to make sure that they can back up those claims, that they might prove the genuineness of those claims. When it says, you're Man, your, your, your iPhone is safe with us up to 10 feet. They've tested it. They've, and, and so that it's proven that those claims are genuine. I'm going to safely put my phone back in my pocket. There we go. We're good. In the same way, trials. God uses trials. God uses pain to test us, to push us, so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor to you? No, to Jesus Christ. These trials allow God's grace, His power to be on full display, and it hurts. This is in no way intended to be a sermon of like, oh, it's not that bad, come on. No, it is bad, it hurts, it's painful, it's hard. We also know that it allows God's power, His grace, to be on full display. Now, each week we finish our our messages with a now what statement. It's actually a, a really important part as I you know, do my prep work, and I spend a lot of time thinking about it, making sure that it, it captures the text well, that it is a call to action, um, and that it, um, it, it really moves us in, in our discipleship, in our following of Jesus. And sometimes it just kind of clicks, and I can think of something that, you know, pretty quickly. Other times it takes a couple days. This one was super easy because First Peter does all the work for me. It is glorious. Um, and I want you to look at it. And uh, the now what, again, let me just remind you, is our living hope compels us to live lives marked by holiness and love. And let's see if we can see that. In the next portion, verse 13, he starts off with a really nice word, therefore. 
in light of everything he's just talked about, that our, that our living hope is anchored in the past. It is secure. It is firm. We have confident expectation. In, it is anchored in the past. It sustains us in the future. It, it helps us, uh, sustains us in the present and be fulfilled in the future. In light of all that, therefore, here is what you do. So therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, Check out this this second command in verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Because we have been given this living hope, we are called to live in it. Because we've been given a living hope, we are called to, to live like we have hope. And that looks like lives marked by holiness and love. But that's, that's not automatic, which is why he says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. This is a command to decisive action. This does not happen naturally or automatically. Literally, it's, it's gird up the loins of your mind. Because the thing is, um, hope in the midst of suffering doesn't make any sense. Hope in the midst of pain isn't natural. It doesn't make sense, humanly speaking. So that's why Peter says, prepare your minds. Gird up the loins of your mind and rehearse to yourself the truth of Scripture. Rehearse to yourself the truth of Scripture in the midst of loneliness that He is present. Remind yourself of the promises of Scripture to provide, promises to protect, promises to be with you, promises that He is faithful, promises that He is good, promises that He's working in the midst of the mess, that He has something prepared for you that you don't know about, but He's, he's shaping you and molding you to be more and more like Jesus. And I know it hurts right now, but He's got a future for you. He's got the end in mind to be more like Jesus. And you won't get there on your own. You won't get there unless you allow the God of the universe, a good, loving Father, to shape you, to push you, to stress test your faith so it it might be proved genuine and bring praise to Him. Let's prepare our minds in the midst of our pain, and then practically, if you find yourself in a difficult situation, to keep trusting, to keep following faithfully one step at a time, because you know as well as I do, when we are, when we're pressured, when when we're in pain, it is very tempting to take shortcuts, to take the easy way out, it's kind of like when, when, a, when you have a, a dog that is hurt, injured. What's that dog going to do when you come near it? 
It's going to snip at you. And sometimes we can respond in a very similar way when we're in our pain, in our brokenness. Instead, God is calling us to be holy, to continue to follow him faithfully, to allow the Spirit of God to shape us, to change us supernaturally, to keep giving us joy, exchanging joy for dis- from our despair. The second command is to love. Is to love. What does that look like? Well, maybe you're not in a season of trial right now. Maybe life is actually pretty good right now, and praise God. That's wonderful. But you know people that maybe are in your home group, people that you know that are part of this fellowship, who are suffering, who are experiencing brokenness. And Peter says, love them deeply. Love them well. Which might mean, yes, we're going to pray for the people in our worlds. We're going to pray for the people in our home groups. I imagine Peter is calling us to, to, to more than that. Are there tangible ways you can love the people around you? They're going through it right now. To be an encouragement. To take a little bit of the load off. It might mean dropping off a Stater Brothers gift card just so that they don't have to worry about the groceries this week. It might mean asking them, hey, what, 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 what bill are you staring at? How can I help? It might mean some creativity, maybe drop off some movie tickets and a gift card to a restaurant because those two need to kind of get away and they're probably not going to do that on their own right now. But you're going to make sure that happens. What are practical ways you can love the people around you? It says to love deeply. I love that. It tells me it's intentional. It's authentic, sacrificial, which beautifully represents the love of Christ, which we are called to demonstrate among each other. So if you find yourself in just a season of trials, I I think Peter this morning says to you, keep following faithfully. Keep living in holiness, reflecting Jesus the best way you know how. And if you're not in that season of challenge, you come around those people and love them well. Love them tangibly. Love them sacrificially. So heaven isn't just off, distant. The hope of heaven is for today. It's not theoretical, it's practical. It's lived out. Our living hope 
really compels us. It drives us to live lives marked by holiness and love. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for this morning. We thank, I thank you for uh, the chapter of 1 Peter. What an amazing chapter that is. Um, such rich truth to remind us, to give us perspective of an eternity with you. Though for a little while right now, we do experience pain. But help us to lift our eyes towards the future, to keep our head up, that we would, we would live with anticipation, with confidence, with firm assurance that there is another day coming, and that day has been secured by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray that we would live out, that we would live out this hope that you have called us to, that we would live this out in faithfulness in the midst of trial, and that we would live this out as we minister to one another, that we would love one another deeply as you have called us to. And, Father, I pray for the people in this room that do not know you yet. This hope is not for them, but it can be. And if that's you this morning, I want to offer and extend this invitation that you too can have this incredible hope that honestly doesn't make any sense, but it's glorious. It is straight from God, and it will change your eternity forever. And the way we receive that hope is to A, admit, admit that you are a sinner that you need God, that you are helpless to change your position. That really represents every person in this room. To be, believe, to believe that Jesus died for that sin in your place, but didn't stay that he rose from the grave, securing your living hope. And see, to choose to follow him, to choose to follow him for the rest of your life. So if you have not done that, I even just challenge you to do that this morning, even just quietly, sincerely in your heart. Father God, we, we, we thank you for your great love. We thank you for the living hope. We thank you for the joy, even in the midst of trial. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.